we're all on pilgrimage between the two homes of Eden and heaven. But I think the home we're looking for now is other pilgrims who we can look at across on the, on the path and say, yeah, you're, you're looking for something too. And I, uh, I am as well. And we just share, share in that. How can you use story to bring healing and integration to all corners of the world? How do we become living tabernacles that continuously point toward the good, the true, and the beautiful? In this week's episode, Emmy-nominated producer, filmmaker, and storyteller David Kang opens our eyes to the ways we each can bring transcendence to any setting. Create an experience of home wherever you're at in the world, um, of home for people where the true, the good, and the beautiful um, can be seen in, in, in the way you look at people. It's a way of loving with your whole selves, loving with the whole, your whole being and the whole world, so that when it's time to share a truth that may be difficult, it's in the context of what is good and what is also beautiful, so that that person will want to hear you because they feel seen by you. Look at the world, people in your life, people you work with, are you thinking, I want you to feel at home uh, because I am here with you? If we could understand our desires according to our design, we will understand our destiny. We are all pilgrims on a journey in search of home. When we open our hearts to others with wisdom, clarity, and love, we each can become images of that home as we walk together along the way. This is Living the Call. Dave, God bless you, brother. Welcome to the show. You too. Such a joy to just hang out with you for a bit, you know? You're, you're a guy who I've wanted to have on the show for a while. We, were, we had some scheduling issues and we kind of weren't able to do it, but I'm really, really, really stoked to have you on the show. And the, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you here is because I'm very big on time and place. You know what I mean? Like we could have been born anywhere and we could have yeah. been born at any time, but we're here at this time and place. And I think story has always been important. But man, is it important now. And you're a guy who, in getting to know you over the last few years, you're one of these like rare people that can build the story in somebody's head. Like when I talk to you, I can see stuff. And I think <laughs> that's like one of the hallmarks of a creator. Yeah. Um, so I've been, I've just been really looking forward to, to having you on to talk about story and other stuff. But I just think it's so important in this uh, time and space right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I remember you making that comment. Uh, you said we were on this other business call and you're like, Dave has the ability to work in the theater of the mind. And I, was, I, had to, I had to Google that. I'm like, oh, man, that's a really big, big compliment. But I, I would have to say back, back at you, Deacon Charlie. Um, and I love that on this call, I can call you Deacon Charlie. That's right. Calls, it's your more, uh, not incognito, <laughs> but I, I, when I met you, I was, you know, I fancy myself as somebody who's a very Catholic, meaning the universality of the truth, goodness, and beauty of God and the faith. But when I met you, I'm like, man, this guy is like so in the world in his work, you know, and, and like in the pulse of the zeitgeist in, in media. And he's a Catholic deacon. And so I was so delighted because you kind of had to, you helped force me to reboot my categories of what Catholic means because of what you bring together in creative tension. So I'm always so happy to know you're out there in the world. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. And um, I do recall that from our first meeting. And it is uh, it is a balancing act, but I think it's a balancing act for you as well in the sense that you've 
you know, dedicated your professional life to, you know, making, to creating, to producing, to directing, to writing, to all of these things that, you know, again, time and place, we're living in a world where 98% of that is done in or around an industry that, saying it generously, is in op perhaps some tension with our worldview, and to say it less generously might be in opposition to our worldview. So I could say the same exact thing about you. And actually, that's maybe a good place to start is, mm -hmm. you know, that tension and that um, that sort of delicate balance that you have to walk as as a creator and a maker. And, you know, I also realize in preparing for this, Dave, that I, like, I don't know a lot about your story, your background. Yeah. Like, you know, where where you come from and you know Milwaukee and like all this other stuff so like there's a thousand ways we could start but yeah. like where do you where do you think we should uh open up well I, I guess uh I guess the beginning makes sense um which is uh could I just share a little bit about my background and um Go maybe how I came to be doing the work that I that I do but yeah um I'm so I'm the son of Korean Catholic immigrants and I didn't know how special that was until I was older. But, you know, we a couple generations ago, my ancestors and their generation, they died. They died for their faith. There's 103 Korean martyrs that were canonized by martyr saints by John Paul II. So for me, um, I grew up a Korean Catholic uh, immigrants and I studied theology, English literature at Marquette University. But my background is actually in. Uh, I don't know if you know this, in campus ministry at this uh, very arts-heavy school, UW, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. No, and in I there, I spent so many hours in conversation with um, students over coffee where I would typically ask them, so what kind of music do you listen to? What's your favorite movie? And I, it just, when you're interested, and because I genuinely am, you just share human to human uh, what stories resonate you? What is it about the world that resonates with you? And I, in just naturally sharing in that, my love for the faith, the reality of faith, theology, I always approached it as it's a way to shed even more light on what you already know and love to be true. Um, and, and to do it in a way where you're not telling them what to believe, but you're just saying, hey, put this lens in front of your eye. Mm. And if you do, this lens of Catholicism has the widest frame, the greatest depth of field, yeah. you know, the most vivid oh, color. And But you tell me, do you see that or not? And mm. their reaction would be, wow, I never, I never thought that this had as much meaning as it did. Now, um, where did, but, but yeah. where did that, that motivation to start the conversation in this kind of ministry context, where did that originate for you? Was that was that something that you can remember? Like, hey, my, you know, mom, dad, uncle, parents, wh whoever it may have been, like, they gave me that sense of trying to even begin the conversation from that frame. I could tell you where it comes from, which was um, being a son of immigrants uh, at our Korean Catholic immigrant church. We actually had mass in English downstairs while our parents went to mass in Korean when we got to high school. And our mm. youth group was assigned this retired Paulist priest, this like huge, this giant of a man, Father James O'Gara, a Paulist priest who spent time many decades in New York. And okay, this, Deacon, this is the typical thing he would do, right? After mass, he's like, so 
uh, what's on the agenda today? Where are you all headed? We're going to get some food and watch a movie. It's some, like, some gangster movie. He's like, oh, okay, that's not a real movie. This is a real movie. And talk about The Godfather, right? And then he would host a screening of The Godfather. And then really? for a month, he would, he would give homilies about Michael Corleone. Wow. About how The Godfather is a portrait of sin. Sure. You know? Or he'd be like, um, there's, a, uh, there's a maverick filmmaker who has, he, he comes out of hiding every 10 years or so. And he's, he's, he put out a war movie. We need to go. We need to watch this. This is important. There's a spiritual importance to what he's doing. So that's the Thin Red Line with Terrence Malick. Sure. Right? Yeah. So he would, he would, I would say he challenged us to understand there was more, even more meaning in art, in literature, um, the world around us, than we, than we give ourselves room to appreciate. And that the faith can help us access that greater meaning. So there was always kind of an admixture then for you of theology or the liturgical and the story, it sounds like. It's true. Certainly a kind of a cool intertwining. By the way, Coppola, super Catholic kind of thematics in his in his storytelling. I remember like the, I, don't, I forget which Godfather it was, but this like amazing example. When I, I have a minor in film, which I don't know if you know this, but um, w- when we learned things like parallel editing, yeah. it was it was looking at Coppola and and, and the one scene where I, I forget like somebody's about to get whacked and yet the uh, Corleone's kids are getting baptized, yeah. and they're going back and forth in that scene like yeah. one is towards death, one is to life. I'm like, who makes movies like this anymore? Yeah, no, totally. That was and that was the scene he would he would give an exegesis on. Do you know what I'm saying? And then he would do John to the next beat and he would bring it together. Um, but his point was like, <laughs> he's like, be who, who you are on Sunday the rest of the week. Otherwise, wow. you're, you're going to become, you're, the temptation to become Michael Corleone where you, you're at the baptism, but then murdering people. It's like, that's the logical end of not integrating your life. Mm. Um, that's a big, that's an important point. I just gave her a reflection uh, on Friday last week and the kind of thematic was integration. It was yeah. loosely at least based on uh, St. Thomas More, but the idea of like, I mean, you just said it beautifully, right? Or he said it beautifully, right? Be yourself the days, you know, the other days of the week, not just on Sunday, be who you are and live that life of integration. Super, super important, frankly, in a world that increasingly feels sort of more disintegrated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you, did you find that? reality true when you were working in, in youth ministry that you were kind of here? Was it mostly a receptive audience that kind of valued that idea of integrity or was there some, some friction there as well or some, some pushback? Um, it wasn't pushback. It was just really lively debate about, um, again, music, movies, theology. And, um, but I think the, the dare I put before them is if the beauty you feel in your heart and this, in this artwork, um, your, under, your interactions with God, if they can be one thing that move together, isn't that what you want? Yeah. And um, that was just intuitively what they were attracted to. But then I also, I also bet on God moving in their lives and God would. And, um, and, uh, but I think, uh, I think I think it was Newman who said, when we experience the true good and the beautiful together, which are all mm. ways of accessing God, when we experience those three things together, 
we have an experience of home. Hmm. We have an experience of home. And I think that's uh, at home with, in ourselves, the world around us, a sense of God. You know, integration is such a beautiful word. And I know what you mean when you say it and when I say it, but it's, I, I like to say uh, an experience of home is a much more, it's a richer way of saying integration, you know? Mm. Um, Do you think that that home is, I mean, the reason that home is such an attractive um, concept or desire is because ultimately we long for that ultimate home? I mean, is that is that the driver, do you think, that helps people connect with this idea, irrespective of maybe what their individual backgrounds may be? I mean, a short answer, absolutely. Um, every, everybody I've had a meaningful friendship with, a conversation with, I think they, um, they grieve some loss of home. You know, I, I mean, at one end, it's the brokenness of family. Mm. But on the other side, it's like you have to say goodbye to innocence just in the course of life. Mm. You know, and then, but then the question is, is there like an ultimate home that awaits us, you know, but in eternity, that's, that's the question we're all asking. And, but I think there's a, I want to propose there's a third one, a third experience of home, which was when um, we're all pilgrims, right? In the morning and weeping in this valley of tears, right? We're all on pilgrimage between the two homes of Eden and heaven. But I think the home we're looking for now is other pilgrims who we can look at across on the, on the path and say, yeah, you're, you're looking for something too. I am as well. And we just share, share in that. And I, I guess one of the most uh, formative experiences in my life, Charlie, was um, after college, I worked um, at this, one of the, this amazing restaurant and I made friends with the staff there, like non-Catholic, you know, just people of the world. Mm-hmm. And we formed a movie club where um, we would take turns Everybody would pick a different like art film and then we would cook food and we'd talk about talk about the movie and just share it. And was the, that did, was, the, did the food have to relate to the movie? When possible, it would be cool if it did. You know, like if there is an Armenian food or if there's like stuffed peppers, great, you do that. Right. If it's Japanese, okay, maybe you try to make homemade ramen. But um but it was more I call it like the church of beauty where mm. where we just shared through the art, we just shared uh, in conversation about about what we know to be true and beautiful and good about the world, and and it's that, that was like again another formative formative part of my life is that is that friendship. Um, so, but that's kind of like you know we're pilgrims, you know, finding home by uh, traveling with each other. Um, and I think people, these students, back to back to when I was in campus ministry, I think they want to just feel like seen by someone. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to force a doctrine down down their throats, but they just want to feel seen by somebody and that we're journeying together. So, And that longing continues to this day. I mean, maybe you could even make a case that it's getting more pronounced, right? You see all of these—I've touched on this thematic before, and even I think you and I have talked about it, the sort of young people's uh, recreation of liturgy, recreation of spirituality, of religiosity, of— you know, these these things that just occur kind of naturally, in the absence of them, they want to occur naturally. And I think all of it is that that desire to be, you know, look across the way and see another pilgrim and see people that are walking with you and mm-hmm. be driven, you know, in, in this sort of community towards a goal, towards an outcome. And that can be very, it can be very lonely if you don't feel that, if you don't have that. So in the absence of it, sometimes you try to recreate it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Man, if you're if you're blessed, if you're lucky, you'll find fellow pilgrims, you know? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's the irony is that, you know, we're, and you know this, right? We've got so much connectivity, but so little fellowship, right? In particular with, with younger folks. And I think it's more difficult to see that pilgrimage or feel that sense of home, you know, when we're not, like, again, we're super, super connected, but we're not really necessarily, uh, you know, living or walking that pilgrimage with other people. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's it's something that seems to me, and I, I hate to be pessimistic about these things, but just seems to be kind of more pervasive today mm-hmm. than it's been in the past. And I wonder what role story has to play in that divide. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about time and place and the fact that you and I ran into each other or God brought us together. But I, 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 one of the things that I really think about is like, I'm a, I'm a Gen X, I guess, on the line of me millennial. Too. But man, but so... We remember the world pre-internet, you know, mixtapes. Sure. You know, I, I, in high school, oh, yeah. I, had a, I had a beeper, which, you know. Did you I, really? You're like yeah, out of your time. Everybody had, everyone had beepers of like, you can reach me by sending me a code by my friends. I didn't need it for any professional purpose. But, um, but the internet, I have to think out of all the inventions that humankind has ever created, the internet is just such a bizarre moment you know i i still i i can't it's mind-boggling that we were born in in that era but um where people um i think especially in in 2020 the fact that we weren't able to be with each other in person especially with all the so many ways we were divided Mm -hmm. we didn't we needed to be in the same room cooking together and you know being in the mess of life together and that just wasn't possible because of COVID. And it was such a, mm-hmm. such a, we were so poor because of it. You were so isolated to your point, but all the discourse was happening online. So I think of youth, but all of us in the in all society, of us. Yeah, yeah, all of us, we were so poor, like impoverished from being at home with each other. Huh? What's your post kind of COVID read of culture? Do you think there's a kind of like a big snapback of like just pent up desire to want to go and relive all the things that we haven't been able to do for 18 months? Or are you kind of like a new modalities have been invented and therefore some things don't just ever snap back? Um, I What I'm feeling is the ones that I know who are navigating it with a, like a depth, they're, they're kind of grieving that life has changed. And in that grieving that they're able to kind of more peacefully re-engage with people, you know, rather rather than be anxious about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm of the mind of um I hope that there's grace that you can you can have you can take with you from the year and grace and humility rather than say, okay, we're past that. So I, I hope people can grieve so that they can they can come out of it more more thoughtfully. Just I, I guess one thing is, um, I, I think um, as a, being an immigrant and um, mm-hmm. son of immigrants, and I grew up in Chicagoland, you know, where we were with, I, I remember being with all kind of people, families of all ethnic backgrounds. I didn't know what food it was in front of me that I was eating. I love that. We were bumping into each other, inadvertently kind of offending each other, but then laughing about it. I think a lot about how there's a lot of talk about race in our society. But I don't think enough appreciation of culture. 
and there, mm. there's a there's a difference of um, and culture happens when you can be with each other. It's it's an abstraction if you're not in the mess of life together. So I said a number of different things there. I don't pause because I want to have you respond. You know. Well, I think that the first thing or the last thing that you mentioned about culture, it's it's kind of impossible to do. To my mind, it's very difficult to do if the only medium that we have access to is a digital one or, or a screen, yeah. right? In other words, you need that kind of messiness of the interactions. You need that kind of rolling up your sleeves to really create that um, that sense of culture and to and to drive it. So I, there's there's no question that there's been, you know, to my mind, a big impact by everything that we've been through, um, you know, with COVID. And that's created a rift, I think, in a lot of these things. I wonder about some of the bigger things, though, that you talk about, right? I wonder yeah. some. I wonder about the bigger things that you that you've devoted your work to, beauty, right? Mm. The idea of that. I wonder if we're closer to recognizing the importance of those of those concepts, or farther away on the basis of what we've been through, right? Um, that I don't know. I don't know. I mean, again, I have a tendency to maybe be a, a bit more pessimistic about things. So it feels like every day we're taking mm-hmm. kind of steps in the wrong direction. But I know that that's also not true. I know that we, you know, culture can go through, you know, cycles and things can pop up and there can be a new, uh, you know, a new moment. But I wonder, those are the things that I think about. I think some people will, you know, snap back and literally it'll be like, hey, I took my mask off. I'm literally back to normal. It's like nothing ever happened. And other people, I think, will be, you know, deeply, deeply, deeply impacted. And as a culture, I think we will as well during this period of time, um, you know, that we've been through. And I wonder about those higher order things, you know, Mm. beauty, love, justice, all these things that really orient us, which a lot of your filmmaking and, and making is about, I wonder what the impact to that is, because I just don't know. I, I just I just don't know. Well, well, what comes to mind as I heard you speak is um, when you look at Poland in the 80s under martial law, mm-hmm. and um, when John Paul II, um, when, our, when, the Catholic, when our faith was, you, you weren't able to practice it in so many ways, but when... Um, John Paul II was archbishop and he hosts like a mass, right? And which was illegal. It Sure, totally religion, underground. Underground, but the the but the religious the desire for it not only did it not go away, it like came back with a vengeance. A vengeance so that it just kind of it was ignited. He knew the right to do the right gestures that would ignite it, right? Mm. So I have to believe in the era of the internet when we have a lot of connectivity, but isolation, so much information, but not enough wisdom, a lot of content, but maybe not great stories. I have to believe, Deacon Charlie, that the hunger for great stories, the hunger for wisdom, that perhaps it's going to get even stronger, more ravenous, mm-hmm. and that we're going to gravitate toward the good stuff. I pray. I pray that that appetite is in us. You talked about um, one of the things that you've done is this idea of the golden hour, and I want you to talk about golden hour, right? This like this window of time, you know, sunrise, sunset. That's like really prized by people who you know make film, make movie, because obviously yeah. the lighting and all this stuff, and it can it can connect to our deepest longings, to our yeah. aspirations. And you've been doing this for a while, right? This yeah. idea of like that window and trying to tell stories at that window that really lift people up to things of a higher order. But I want to know, how do you think, how is that 
evolved over the time that you've been doing this? You've been focused. First of all, tell us about the golden golden hour, but how has that evolved over the time that you've been focused on this? Are we getting, you know, maybe shades of what we just talked about? Are we getting more receptive as a culture? Are we is this is this becoming a brighter light because the darkness is greater, or are people drawing more towards it? Like, what is the evolution of yeah. this concept? Well, about ten years ago. I met some mentors and colleagues who they were tinkering with neuroscience, combining neuroscience with um, and story and metaphor and, and helping culture flourish by the use of story and metaphor. And they started to do this work in uh, what's typically called like the branding space, you know, branding, communications, marketing, where they would help people find, discover their story through the use of metaphor and it would it's about using your whole brain in the way that only story only metaphor pictures can can do that and and sometimes when i do this work i use the metaphor of golden hour and where that comes from is um in photography and filmmaking we'll go back to the godfather and godfather 2 when they flash back to uh, vito corleone that's marlon brando's character played by de niro as a young man that's in right. part two when they filmed those scenes, they filmed it in around dusk where the light is kind of golden, when it's that liminal space when the light shifts. Mm. And when that happens, you're kind of in this space where you want to remember home. You want to remember childhood, right? You guys, you know the kind of light I'm talking about. Sure. Um, so to me, when in the work that I've been privileged to do is helping people discover and tell their stories, there's a, a remembering of why they do that work, why they do at their best. What memories do you have in your company of when you really help someone? And they'll say, I remember this one time, or I remember when I was a child. So if you can, and in that work of branding, I've, I've had the privilege of helping a lot of different organs, different industries connect to who they are. And I think, I think Deacon, it's back in that same experience of home. Yeah. This is a Catholic podcast, but go ahead. It, no, I was going to say, it, it, it's it's really cool to hear that in a marketing context, but it's really an idea of just remembering the foundational, right? The, the, the whole thing about what you said, like harken back to a time in the company or, you know, a, a moment, something that uniquely captures what this is about, um, yeah. that is a calling or a return to fundamentals, to mission, to the idea of why we, you know, this, in this case, con a company exists. But right. but those are, those are things that are deeply spiritual, right? The idea of like, yeah. you know, remembering the fundamental, the great, the the uh, you know ultimately the longing for God, yeah. but remembering the the foundational principles. Those are things that we do in the spiritual life as well. So I, right. I I love the whole connection. I mean, I'm not sure how many of maybe your clients or people in the marketing context understand that connection, but I think it's it's rooted deeply in that in that reality. Absolutely, and so I think to me it goes back to what I um. The dare I made to those college students when I was in campus ministry, which was, if this is the true faith, it should give us a read on reality that mm. is powerful, that has a depth to it, and that actually can, it's a sort of a, um, there is, should be a genius about it that helps us see things with a greater depth and wisdom. So with the clients I've served, once in a while, my faith background will come up, but when it does, right. Charlie, it has a certain authority to it. I bet. That, 
but I'm not, I'm not anxious to kind of tell them. Sure. I, I want the authority to come from them feeling like a sense of healing in their culture, a new traction with their audience when they connect to the soul of what they do. And um, that is God, you know, that Amen. is the right. Amen. Right. And so when they ask me, oh, so and I say, oh, that comes from, you know, a, a biblical worldview, a sacramental worldview. I kind of let the hang in the air and then we we part ways. <laughs> it's like mind blowing. I know. Yeah. Exactly. And I can imagine that that might, you know, might also kind of facilitate maybe other conversations with those same folks once they, you know, you have that sense of authority and then they come to discover that it's rooted in something else in your case, that it may actually attract them in the cases where it's, where that's appropriate to also like ask about that or go deeper down that, down that path. Right. Has that right. happened in the past it, for you? It, it does. It does. Yeah. And it's always an honor because it tells me they feel seen by me, yeah. uh, whether it's in friendship or in a, a client that I serve. Mm. And then we're, we're speaking as in that pilgrim fashion of meaning, of wisdom, of calling. But I, again, I'm not trying to get something from them. I'm not trying to get a... Uh, you know, I'm not trying to score, keep score or something. Here's score one for the Catholic. It's more like, God bless you, and he's real, and there's a source. And some of the relationships I've had, and I had spiritual directors say to me one time, I was like, wow, you actually, you like bet that God's going to move, right? It's like, yeah, you, you have to. Like years will go by, and people will call me out of the blue. Hey, could, could we talk? I just That's felt like awesome. I, had, I had to talk. I had to ask you, right? And yeah. what an honor. That they feel like they had an experience of home with me, mm. whether it's a cl former client or a, a colleague or a friend. I, I reflect a lot on, you know, I've even talked about it on this podcast, but the words from the Gospel of John, I believe it is, where Jesus says, there's so much that I have to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. I reflect so much on that in in the subject matters that we're talking about here, in the area of the fullness of the faith, of all the beauty, the riches that are there historically, intellectually, musically, artistically, all of these great treasures. And you know, to your point, it's like a balancing act because oftentimes you see that potential aperture. There's so much you want to share. There's so much you could share. Yeah. But but you but you're also like you said, you're not trying to win. You're not trying to keep points or score or get somewhere faster. You just, you're eager to share this, this great treasure trove, but you're also mindful of the context that you find yourself in. And you have to kind of dole that out, right? And by the way, we also receive it and we don't like know everything, right? So we're receiving it also slowly from God ourselves and being yeah. built up more in it. But I've always found that same dilemma where it's like, I see this, this aperture and I want, there's so much I want to share. Um, but depending on the context and the situation, there may be other things to do um, that ultimately can help lead lead people, you know, where God wants to take them. And it may not be up to me to get them all the way to the next step. You know what I mean? It may just it's be true. like the little baby part, and then somebody else can kind of take over. That's true. I, I man, there's this quote. Um, gosh, I wish I could recall who said it. Somebody recently said it is that. Many Christians, as Christians, we I want to hold myself as part of this too. A lot of times we. We believe on Sunday, but oftentimes in, 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 in life, we move like we're atheists. Like, yeah. like a lot of times we, we may intellectually and our souls believe, but when we interact with people, we don't actually, we have to be careful because we may not move as if we believe God's going to move. Get out of his way. I, I think that's the thing. 
is learning to surf with divine providence, the movements of what God might be doing and not getting in God's way. Mm. Um, That's a, oh boy, that's, but that's, that's assuming he God's real and doing something. Is that the you difference I mean? between is that the difference between uh, belief and faith or belief and trust? Yeah, I, I, I suppose that is a distinction. Because um, if you trust, you don't have to you don't have to like hedge your bet with some you know how you love somebody. Sure, you believe you trust that God's gonna be there too. He's gonna move. I do that all the time in my life, and I bet you a lot of people do out there in the world, and they're, especially people in positions of leadership, they're like, hey, you know what? Intellectually, I get it, and I believe all this, and I know that the truths of the faith exists, and I believe in Scripture and yada, yada, but like the actual trusting yeah. of, you know, you're going to that meeting, you've got that deal that if it doesn't close may hurt or whatever, yeah, yeah. and like just putting that in God's that's like that's like the proving ground. That's the real stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's an art too because there's there's times when the door's cracked open and you it's time to, and you don't force it. Other times the door's cracked open and you it's time to open. You know, there's there's, yeah. there's an art to it. But I think um, you know, do you do you believe God is at work and are you are you moving with Him or are you trying to control mm. control the situation? Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I. Uh... I think in most cases, if I'm answering honestly, um, it's going to be the latter. My wife drew, drew a thing on my um, on the mirror over my nightstand with mm-hmm. a kind of those like erasable things. So she 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 did a little uh, kind of pyramid, right, with God at the top and her next, and then the family, and then work and you know ministries and all that stuff. But as a reminder. And then she put like another another uh, kind of org chart, if you will, next to it, which is like how she perceives sometimes I view the world, which is either things on an equal playing field or me above them or me trying to drive them. And I'm telling you, this thing has been on my nightstand for like three years now. And what an amazing reminder, because if I answer honestly, I think that I would say a lot of times I'm actually, I'm not, I'm driving, or at least I'm trying to drive. And that's what creates a lot of the anxiety, at least for me personally, like a lot of the anxiety and the, when I get out of whack, it's usually because I've been kind of living that org chart instead of the other one. What are the categories again? Well, I think it's like the waterfall is God, like man of God is the way that she titled it, right? God is at the very top. Then it's her, you know, wife, spouse, and then it's, you know, family. Then beyond that is work, ministry, and it's kind of like this work chart. And then the other, the other version is it has like, you know, me you know, kind of like in the place of God in some, oh, in, you right, know, right. and then it changes the orders of the stuff underneath. And it's just like, to be honest, it's just the <laughs> fact that that exists there and on top of my dresser. I've looked at it so many times. It's just a yeah. little nudge, you know, a little nudge to be reminded yeah, of like yeah, yeah. what you really should be doing. What's the org? I, what you're saying reminds me of this interaction. I wanted to, for anyone who might be listening, what do we mean by control versus surfing, surfing with? Like, for me, I had this memory, right? Where with a co- coworker who was like, at the time, he was this kind of bitter ex-Catholic, maybe like 15 years older than me, okay? Mm. Had these long philosophical debates and talked about art. And this one time, we were in this heavy debate about like faith, religion. And, and I had what I knew was like, a, like a, an ace. I could, like, I could destroy him in a philosophical argument. Oh, yeah. And, I've been there. But, but man, I remember walking around the room. I swear, I felt like the Blessed Mother's hand on my shoulder. And she said to me, you're not going to do that to that man. Wow. Like, you are not loving that man. And so then yeah. I, I didn't I didn't play that ace card, right? And then, like, later that year, he, um, 
was confiding to me his anger toward God, okay? And he just, and it was some of it's directed toward the church. And I just, yeah. I listened. I didn't respond. And I said, I think you're totally right. And I didn't argue with him. I didn't say, yeah, but. Yeah. And the next day he was like, so grateful and warm toward me. Um, and it opened up a conversation about God after that. But the thing is, if I had tried to control it by playing that ace, yeah, he would not have felt safe to to kind of voice his anger toward God in the church to me. And I, as a member of the church, I could say, I don't blame you. It's kind of the difference between systematic and pastoral theology, right? You as a theology guy would probably, um, you know, you, you probably give me a lot more than I have to offer here in this discussion, but I just the basic difference between, hey, this may be that ace, and it's true. It doesn't yeah. change the fact that it's true. It is true, whatever right. the ace is. Great. Right. But at this moment right now, like, you know, God's going, that's my kid. Yeah. That's my kid. And like, you know, the ace may be true, but the ace is going to not necessarily have him come back home, and that's what I want, because that's my kid. Yeah, exactly. So I want to assemble it to the true and the good and beautiful. In that story, the ace was the truth, but what God wanted me to do is to to live with the truth, the goodness, and the beauty to give an experience of home. Hmm. He wanted he he yeah. was asking me to go deeper, and I like to say, man, um, what is the opposite of an experience of home? The opposite when when the true, the good, and the beautiful is fragmented, it's like a tripod where. One of the legs is hyperextended or uh, less than extended, and the tripod's like all off. It can't, it can't stand up. But when you hyperextend or underextend the true or the good and the beautiful, it suddenly, it's no longer, it don't, doesn't have that integrity or it doesn't have that experience of home anymore. Hmm. And I think if you examine pastoral failures, it's like somewhere in there, there is, a, the home is, the home is experience is missing because you have uh, hyperextended something or underextended something. That's a super cool image. I certainly never thought about that, but it makes sense because each of them may be solid and true and and worthy to hold the weight of the camera in this case. But if you have them in the wrong, you know, kind of length, the whole thing's going to like fall apart. I, look, for me, I think the whole idea of home, maybe it gets a bit, of, I think it's a beautiful image. I think if anybody gives it a bad rap, it might be, well, we don't want to, you know, feeling at home is about feeling comfortable and, you know, uh, you know, faith requires, um, you know, discomfort and sacrifice and suffering. And it, you know, it does. I mean, those things yeah. are, those are all things that can be transformative and we can learn from. So maybe there's a little bit of that where somebody may look at that and say, Hey, is somebody just, you know, being coddled into something yeah. and you can understand that, but, but generally speaking, home is also the place where you learn all those aces and you have the wherewithal to absorb, you know, the data and the information. And so it, it is the foundation from where these things come, irrespective of how you may view, view it as a, you know, kind of mechanism for evangelization, if you will. But, yeah. but I think it's, it's super needed. I mean, we do have to be home and welcoming and allow people that chance to kind of take their shoes off and kick up on the ottoman and just chill for a second with a tea so that we can talk about all these other things. Otherwise, like they're not really hearing, right? Yeah. And, and uh, I, it's important you brought up that point. It's not about being coddled or like, uh, I'm not your, uh, your valet that's going to make you feel comfortable. And um, it's, um, 
and I've had fairly in the course of my life, really hard conversations with in, in every phase of my life about where the church's teachings, where I, I, I explain bet. why, right? But sure. the thing is, I'm able to have that conversation with them because they feel seen by me. That's right. If they don't feel seen by you, then you're just like, it's just data. It's data. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It, so yeah, amen. It's, it, you, we're not about, I'm not talking about coddling people, but it's about um, you having, having the authority be in their lives because they feel seen by you. How'd you make the pivot between, you know, this kind of theology background that you have and this real yeah. appreciation for that ultimate story, right? Which I'm sure is what kind of drove you to that, um, to that area to focus on uh, in school and otherwise. And how do you go from that like kind of theology ministry to then saying like, no, I want to make these stories. I want to help make these these stories. Like, is that natural or or, or is that just like some providential kind of, you know, kick that you got somewhere along the line? Yeah. Well, um, there was a period where when I was in campus ministry, um, I had a friend who, um, do you know who Christopher West is? Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had we understood that he he wanted to evolve his project to being beyond um, what he had been doing. He wanted to engage the world in a, in a new way. So my wife uh, was the director of adult formation in the city, and I know people at our diocese. I was at the Newman Center at in the in the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, and we. We're like, all right, let's produce an event that we can advertise on NPR and and Catholic radio. And we said, um, if the Dalai Lama was doing a, an event on love and sexuality, like everybody would be everybody on, right? Yep. Everybody. So I was yep. like, this is the thought of JP2, at least as important as whatever the Dalai Lama might say, right? So, okay, let's reverse engineer that that event. And so we produced that event. We advertised it on NPR and it, it and that dude, I invent I invited my friends from that movie club, okay? Mm-hmm. And not I necessarily to, Catholics, these are no, even not Christians. Catholic at all, yeah. And, and and but they were, I said, I want you to come and produce an event, it, mix, it mixes um, uh, spirituality with art. And I'm like, and I, well, how long is this? It's all Saturday at this auditorium, this performing arts center. She was like, all day, I said, yeah, all day. So, <laughs> but she knew what I was doing, I was putting my my like gold star behind it right of like just like you got to see this movie i was like you got to come to this event and she came and it was beautiful it worked all these theories put into this art driven event worked and i was hired to develop that full time it became a book for random house and um in that book theology of the body is not mentioned one time the one phrase time. is not mentioned yeah. he translated it to um, to terms that met people where they were rather than being in theological jargon. So the framework that um, I, I helped develop was if we could understand our desires according to our design, we will understand our destiny. Wow. Okay. Is that, Dave, is that, is, was that economics of sex? Was no, that the... this is called Philly's Hearts, God, Sex, and the Universal Longing. It's a it's a that became a book by Christopher West by for Random House. Uh, it's it's a great book. It's underrated underrated book. Wow! And it's all it goes about art, okay, movies, music, and connects. It's again the the phrase the algebra doesn't it doesn't even. But I I love that yeah. man. I love that kind of like um, gorilla sort of approach where 
you're, it's not even camouflage. That's the wrong terminology. It's about really recontextualizing something for the time and place. Frankly, it's, yeah. it's um, you know, the gospel in the light of the times is, you know, to use the, the, the language of the Second Vatican Council, right? To my yeah. mind, it is that. But you do that a lot in your work. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure, you know, like where it's like, hey, here's this really deep truth. But I'm I'm presenting it in a way that that is attractive to people. You know, the guy from the film club who may be like total atheist or agnostic, but yeah. also somebody who's like, you know, going into the Bible study every week. It's true. And but when we advertise in the NPR in, in eighty eight nine, which is like the the coolest you know indie radio station, when you advertise, you're making a promise to people. Yeah, you're like, this is gonna be, you're gonna find something here that's gonna touch your soul. So you're not hiding behind any cred of Catholic to Catholic, this is like, you're in the world, you know, throwing down a promise and you better deliver. Cause why to me, it's like, well, then you're not hosting them at your, in as an experience of home. So after doing that, experimenting with that, seeing how that could work and we incorporate all these different art forms. And I met these, the mentors I was telling you about, and I, I had a sort of a colleague counterpart named Greg Marshall and um, his partner, Jim Tower, who were who was doing they were doing that in the business space. OK, mm-hmm. where they were running these workshops around metaphor and neuroscience, experimenting with how they could help bring alignment to, to company culture, connect audiences to right an integration of like we're connecting to the soul of who you are and what and the people you serve through story and it was just solving problems for people of brand in, in the, in the neighborhood of brand in, but with a depth that nobody around had really seen before. Wow. So it was so, it was so innovative and out there that people didn't know how to talk about it. Yeah. And so I came to them with an org that asked for my help and they're like, Hey, I, we think you can do it. <laughs> I'm like, who else do you know that can do it? It's like, we don't know anybody else, but we think you can do it. <laughs> Why do you think I can do it? He's like, because you have the rare ability to not try to control, mm. control the room. Mm. You allow people to make the choice themselves, right? And so then I started facilitating these processes and with them um, over about seven to eight years. And um, all the instincts about ministry, Charlie, suddenly became relevant in this sure. area that I, I had totally no, see that. Totally. I had, but I had no background that said I could do this. Right. But they were so, these guys are um, at CI Design in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Emmy Award winning, Major League Sports, Fortune 500 company, down to the smallest nonprofit. They do it all. They were like, they were one of the voices that said, we think you could, we think you got something, kid, and we're going to. We need your help. Yeah. So I was doing stuff that I had no, I had no business doing, but I, but it, but I was able to do it. My instincts came from the the my ministry background, which you never would have thought you would have utilized in this particular context. I, I I'm always blown away by that. Like I mean, I feel the same way in a lot of respects about my secular media background. It's like here I've learned all these different things at you know AOL and Disney and Univision and all these different startup life and. Now, increasingly, I feel, at least in my life, God utilizing some of those tools, but putting them to work on a different project altogether, I would have never in a million yeah. years thought like, oh, this you know, business tactic or the idea of how to like build a roadmap or, or build a business plan or, 
or, or a model, all of these things can be put to the use of, you know, uh, to, to drive kingdom value. Let's just put it that way. I, like, yeah. I, it would have never, I, I, if anything, my mind was, that was my life then, this is my new life now, or at some point there'll be this new life where it's not that, but that's just not the way that it works. Mm. The way that it works is like all the things that are good, like the the things that you learn in in, in ministry can yeah. be put to good in a variety of different ways, right? right. And, and it's like, that's just the way that, that God um, works. You know, we just, it's easy to overlook that, at yeah. least in my life. Well, um, I like TJ Burden, he... He keeps. He always quotes. I forget who said the original quote. The intelligence intelligence of reality is the intelligence of faith, meaning mm. it should be one and the same. You know, hum, human nature, our deepest longings, the questions we have. Sure, it shouldn't um, be like yeah, part timing it, and you know, from nine to five, I don't think about those things, or if I do, it's limited to X. And then when I'm on Sunday, to your earlier point, yeah. then I that go all the way. And the, back to Father Aguera and the the Godfather. It's like well. The truth that you see on Sunday at church doesn't end on Sunday. It's, it should be a read on reality every day of the week. But it's almost like we don't expect enough of the faith a lot of times. We don't really think it has something to tell us about the world around us. You know? Super true. It's super true. When did, I had, a, I had a, um, a teacher in formation that used to talk about what you just said, but with respect to the liturgy, she'd be like, you know, the liturgy is not just Sunday. The liturgy is literally 24-7, right? It's in how mm-hmm. we approach the day and in how we, you know, enter, um, you know, the world bearing the mantle, right? Bearing our, our vestments or, our, or the cross that's a crucifer on Sunday that somebody physically holds, but we should be walking that way into different places and rooms and the and ultimately, obviously, living the consecration, living the Eucharist, being a monster, yeah. showing Jesus. But like her point was, you know, we tend to compartmentalize liturgy as something on Sunday, but God's liturgy is like the whole universe, like like the whole yeah. thing is a liturgy, and that's kind of a an ex, you know a, a version of of what of the concept you just you just mentioned. It's true. I, part of me always wondered, like, well, if we were farmers and winemakers, and we actually could bring into the offertory like wheat and raw grapes, you know, and actually yeah. put in from our week. I was like, Charlie, you know what you got to do? You got to, you got to turn your PowerPoints and your uh, emails and turn them into like grains of wheat that you can put, you know, put in the, in the, put in the offertory or the, the grapes that uh, ferment, yeah, you know, we, but, we're so disconnected, right? But man, that, but what a, what an incredible challenge and an yeah. incredible um, image that you just shared, which we absolutely, certainly me, take for granted. Like, yeah. I don't make an offering of my emails or PowerPoints or meetings or whatever to, to the degree that I should. There's like whole spirituality is based around the idea of offering the simple, the mundane, the everyday, like absolutely. But yeah. but we don't, I don't have that opportunity to go and pick, pluck the grapes and yeah. grind the millstone thing, but, but we do have something. And do yeah. we make of our lives a sacrifice in that way? Do we make of our lives an offering? I think it's easy to to not, you know, in in today's kind of world. Yeah, Dave, when did we lose? Like, when did secular culture take over the storytelling mantle? To your mind, well, was it like like yeah? The um, when I talk about the work with branding and storytelling and neuroscience. Uh, a lot of the what informs it is this book on neuroscience called it's a 
huge book, man. Like you could put your computer on it. Huge. It's called right. the Master Master and His Emissary, and it's by this neuroscientist named Ian McGilchrist. Mm-hmm. And what he talks about, Charlie, is um, there's this bundle of nerves between the two halves of your brain, the left and the right, called the corpus callosum. That's right. And and you often hear right in about left brain, right brain, right. Um, and what McGilchrist is saying is that in the West, the connection between the two halves is shrinking. It's really, really scary. And yeah, and what he's what he's saying it comes from is that in the Enlightenment, um, before the Enlightenment, we used to see the world through metaphor, okay, through picture. And but after the Enlightenment, the emphasis became data and information. So so he put it this way that um, when we see the world through metaphor, through story and picture, we begin with the right brain. And then um, then the left brain uses its analytical the sort of power to verify the, 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 the right brain, the picture with data and information wow. and then returns authority back to the right brain. So the circuit from you start with the right, verified by the left, go back to the right. Okay. And the enlightenment, there was a primacy given to the left brain, meaning you start with data and information. It's the same reason why if you say something about religion and politics, people tune you out right away mm. because they think they know what it means, right? And you're just kind of stuck in the left brain of different bits of information, this hall of mirrors. So what he's, McGilchrist is saying is the problem in the Western world is um, we are, our, our, our brain is sort of, we're kind of, uh, fragmented in our brains. And the, the answer then is to restore the authority of picture, of metaphor, of story. And story is the driver to do that. Yes, exactly. So the my mentors and colleagues, what we started doing was, can you fix or heal the culture of a corporation using story and metaphor? If what McGilchrist is saying is true, you can use story and metaphor to bring integration to uh, strategic plans, to recruitment, audience, audience retention, uh, the imaginations of leaders. So that's the work that we do. Now here's, okay, I'm, here's the kicker of what McGilchrist said, okay? McGilchrist said, in that proper order of begin and picture, right, left, right, the, of like, if you begin and picture, he said this exchange between the two halves of the brain, this circuit, he said it's, uh, parallels the movement of the Trinity. Wow. The healing integration movement of sure. the Father, Son, Spirit, right, in in union together. But it's and about that, a proper yeah. order, too, though. Yes, exactly. Wow. That's why I definitely want to put this in the show notes, too, so other people can check this out. That's wild. And if this can fix a company, it can fix a culture. Yeah. And, it, and it's... um. I guess that's the mission now, Charlie, is in the work that I'm am doing is how can you use story to bring healing and integration to corners of the world? And why? In me, when when the client leaves, they'll say, Man, like, we know who we are and we know what to do now. Yeah. And when I leave, I say, I give praise. It's that that corner of the world proclaims God is Trinity mm. a little bit more. Mm, true. Exactly. Right. One one step closer to that. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And I, I guess if you understand everything that way, does it 
does the potential exist for anyone in any field, in any industry, in any walk of life to sort of lean into that, that concept? In other words, because people hear story and hear what you just described, and they still may think that it's the domain of a few, right? But d- could this apply or work in all walks of life, industries, disciplines, well, people, places? I know that the process that we've been um, testing, we've used it in every industry, mm-hmm. whether it's um, manufacturing, tech, medicine, nonprofits, um, and human nature is human nature. What we you discover on Sunday, it should be true on Monday. Um, but what, what the thrill we have in doing this work is we say, okay, we, we believe this is true and it's worked in all these different industries. Therefore, it's going to work in an industry we've never worked in. It's going to work with artificial intelligence and healthcare. Right. And then it'll work. And it works because human nature presents itself. But I want to connect them. Um, here, I'll make another connection, okay? The true, the good, and the beautiful, okay? The philosophy says that it calls them the transcendentals, the ways that we, uh, was it the modes of being of God? But I like to say to people, it's the way that we access God, right? I, I geek out about these triunities, true, good, and beautiful, because they, they actually sync up with the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. Now that, that goes on. The elements of culture actually sync up with the true, good, good and beautiful. So true, good, and beautiful is how we know God. Mythos, logos, and ethos. Those are the elements of any culture, hmm. any company, any society. Mythos. Logos, ethos. The logos in the U.S., you could say it's the Constitution, right? The ethos, it's, it's the logic, the, the, the logical core of, of a society. The ethos is the actual moral character of how people live. But here's the thing. The mythos, the story, that's the one that contains the other two. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. The true mythos of a culture, the true story of a culture carries the logos and ethos of a culture. Hmm. So the story in a culture has a level of importance that um, you can't calculate. Yeah, so, no question. So right? So if you look at the culture of a company, if you don't have a mythos, if you don't have a culture, I don't care how many adjectives you put in your mission statement, you're not going to have traction with each other's souls. True. So then if you can help discover the mythos um, through a metaphor, you can then start to integrate a culture. I'm, I'm not like, I'm using shorthand with you because, you know, you know, no, business I, and, you know, yeah. uh, philosophy. I totally um, get it. I, okay. I, you know, I just the, the thing that I wonder about, though, is, you know, I think of that corpus colossum getting getting smaller and thinner. And yeah. is it is it um, is it self regenerating, meaning the more story we do? The more yeah. mythos we engage in, the more that that physical change can maybe go back to to what it was. Because otherwise, like it's pretty gloomy to think about our just shrinking, our rewiring of the brain to a degree where story becomes less important yeah. because the data is the driver, and we're kind of living in that world. And when we do the workshop process where we um, discover the st- story of a of a culture through metaphor, we present the first like the tiny the the first uh, circuit there's a reaction that happens in the room. And I wish we had an MRI scanner or something 
to like to read the you brain can see activity. the spikes yeah because we think what happens is we create a circuit from right left right we because there's something where people like i feel like my whole brain is like lit up so i'd be willing to bet and my instincts and experience tells me that we help create uh, a circuit maybe in the corpus callosum right <laughs> but the proof is not an mri the proof is who how they think about themselves talk about themselves what their strategic plan is, what they do, all of a sudden is more aligned. It, it a, like there's yeah. like an orbit. It makes total sense, and it, yeah. it, in fact, it kind of follows right. Just on a practical level, when you think about starting a business, you have on some level some kind of inspiration to do that, yeah. right? Right. It is very much a right brain kind of thing. It's like, oh, imagine this. And then you do kind of product market fit and go look at the data and then understand, oh yeah, look, if we were going to do this, here's the things to do. Here's what to watch out for. Here's what will never work. Like all of that. And then you kind of formulate all of that into this, you know, pitch, plan, roadmap, whatever you want to call it. And you go out and you kind of execute that. But it begins with that inspiration. Yes, it begins yes. with that story of what this thing could be. And and it's, in a way, it kind of motivates people who come in and they want to, if people want to muck in with you and lock arms, it's because they buy into that story too, on some yes. level. Amen. Amen. So check it out. I'm going to drop another triunity on you, okay? Do it. You know this one. Augustine, the memory, the will, and the understanding of the mm. human person. Okay? So I'm going to repeat them back. I wish I had, I have this Google Doc where I have these all laid, laid well, out. You got to share it with me if you want. I got to share it with you. If, you, wanna make, be, if yeah. you want to make it public too, we can add the link to the show notes. I'll drop like a PDF in the link. There you go. The there you go. Doc. There you go. True, good, and beautiful. Father, son, spirit. True, good, beautiful. Mythos, logos, ethos. That's culture. Now let's go to the, to the person, the individual. Memory, will, and understanding. Mm. Now these are these are our faculties as human beings. So I thought about it. How, how do these line up? To me, in my experience, memory lines up with mythos, the story, right? What you said about the original inspiration of the conception of a business has to do with the memory and experience. Mm -hmm. So how do I turn that memory in, of I have, that inspiration into a story that can align the culture of an org? Wow. Right? And then how does that, how that should have a beauty about it that resonates with people. Um, so for me, what I love about this is not to think about an abstraction. I, like, I love taking that hunch, facilitate a workshop where I'm betting that God's going to happen, this is going to be true. And then all of a sudden it happens in front of us where the, there's alignment in it. One of my... We all have, you know, big contributions that we may have made towards somebody's spiritual walk, and we've had those contributions made in our own spiritual journey. And then we've got those ones where we've just put that little tiny bow on it. You know what I mean? That we've done that little tiny thing, but you know, you still remember it. And one of the things that I think, or one of my little tiny things that I do, is every time I'm in a secular context, I tend to talk about the importance of thinking in threes. I always mm. do that. And people don't object to it. It's so weird. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's like a unifying aspect yeah. of these threes, right? And of course, we know because the source of all existence and creation is a three, right? Yeah. So like, of course, things are going to map back to him in that way. But that's one of my little tiny contributions. But I love that. I also think about reason, intellect, and will. You yeah. know, um, There you go. 
which kind of mapped to the last few that, that you um, that you talked about. Man, that's awesome. There's, I mean, these are the kind of things I think that um, we need to, you know, do a better job of productizing and and communicating more broadly because the mission field has changed, right? Business is way outsized importance in, in our world than it would have had 1,500 years ago or even 100 years ago, right? Yeah. I mean, and so we need new modalities to explain and to evangelize and to advance. And these are those kind of things I think that, that, that do just that. So I have a mentor friend who said, um, we have exegetes of the gospel. We need exegetes of creation. Wow. Yeah. It's all right? around you. So can the church, can we as uh, the faithful in the world help each other and others understand the world around us more deeply, meaningfully, and uh, beautifully, you know? Mm. And what role does each of us have in that process? Dave, as we kind of round this thing out, what, yeah. what I'd ask you to do, and maybe that's it, maybe expanding on what you just shared, I don't know, maybe it's something else, but like, what's the what's the rallying cry? What's the urgency? What's the message, right, to you, from you to everyone listening with respect to all of these things, to story, to mythology, hmm. to like business? What is that thing that like, man, if I could just get this thing out and everybody had this in their head for, we'd, we'd be a little, a little closer. We'd, we'd be that one step closer. What is that thing? Just open mic. Well, at least for the Call, conversation today, we hear a lot from the church about leading with beauty, right? But I like to take it a little more personal, which was um, create an experience of home wherever you're at in the world, of home for people where the true, the good, and the beautiful can be seen in, in, in the way you look at people. Mm. And that's, again, it's not a coddling. It's a way of loving with your whole selves, you know, loving with the whole your whole being and the whole world so that when it's time to share a truth that may be difficult it's in the context of what is good and what is also beautiful so that 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 person will will want to hear you because they feel seen by you so look at the world people in your life people you work with do they are you thinking i want you to feel at home uh, mm. Because I am here with you. Mm. Um, I guess. I guess there's a lot you could say in there, but that's what's on my heart right now. That's beautiful, man. I love that, and I think it's. And what a great a lesson it is, a reminder it is too for me, just personally um, about being that and facilitating that state of home. Not just again to the earlier point, not just as a you know pastorally in any kind of ministerial setting, but in every setting, right in mm -hmm. every moment. And how much we actually need that, that message of home, that message of welcoming, that message of, you know, being seen, being received, being desired, being wanted, being yeah. welcomed. I mean, those are all, that's, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. I, I, I read, um, I guess, sort of my final thought on this idea of home, but I read recently in a, a of all places, it was like a Facebook post. It had this meme of a woman uh, with like pink hair and it was like a mohawk and piercings everywhere. It was a drawing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an actual uh, picture. Mm -hmm. And she's being embraced by Jesus. And she yeah. her her hands are like off to the side like this, almost like Jesus surprised her with a hug. And you can yeah. see in her eyes some sort of sense of trepidation, but just an abandonment to it. Yeah. 
and and in it, but it was this very clearly somebody who, by the way that they're trying to depict her, who may be out there, who knows, marching for a bunch of things that would be maybe contrary to the explicit teachings of the things we believe in, but it doesn't matter, right? It was a sense of like welcoming. And in that single image, I'm telling you, the one of the comments on the image that was, it blew my mind. And I, even though it's something that I've heard many times or variations of it was something like, you know, Jesus meets everyone where they are and loves them too much to leave them there, right? But this idea of like, just like, hey man, I'm here, and it wasn't a but, it was an and. And I love you too much to leave you here, right? To give you that fullness of home, that welcome. That's what I think about when you say home. Yeah, yeah. It's um, home home as pilgrims together, but homes toward the the eternal, the uh, home that we're all headed, headed toward. Are we journeying there together? Right. Amen. Amen. Dave, how can people follow your work, your projects? How can they get in touch? Like, who, what do you want folks to know? Wow. Well, I've been pretty bad at promoting myself, putting myself out there. But um, from, the, from our film work, um, you, can, you can find it at etchefilms.com. A lot of the film projects I do with my collaborator, Sean Scavellini. Yet, it's amazing work. Kind. And then um, CI Design is where I've done a lot of the work um, on story. So you can look up CI Design in Milwaukee if you would like to as well. Um, but I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook, Dave Kang. You can find me. All right. Yeah. And I would, I would encourage all people when they get a chance to check out Economics of Sex and Love 3.0 and some of the other stuff that you've done with Eche, which I think is really amazing you know, storytelling. And again, in in this very much in the spirit of helping people recontextualize something and always considering the audience, which I think you guys do really well. And the audience, frankly, is, you know, is an, is an evolving reality and and a very mixed one in in many cases. Right. So servicing that I think is, um, is really great. Um, all right, Dave, you're ready to play our lightning round. Last, uh, (laughs) last few questions. Don't overthink it. Don't, don't overthink it. Okay. Here we go. Question number one, if we could jump in a time machine for a day to chill with the 17-year-old Dave Kang, would we be more apt to find him hanging with the jocks, artists, holy rollers, nerds, emo alternative kids, honors AP crowd, or so? So I'd be in AP English, and then I'd be at Bible study, and then at Friday night, but then after that, I'd go hang out with my other friends and be at the clubs like all night till like five in the morning. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it is. A cross section of this group. Did you? What? What? Can I ask you what you got on your AP, well, AP English? English? I mean, I got, I got like, a, I got A's in English, but in other classes, maybe not, not so well. You know, Zyla. No, I'm saying in your in your AP. Did you take oh, the AP man. exam for English? Um, I, do I don't even remember. I'm sure I did. Yeah, that was my one crowning achievement, Dave, in all of my yeah. scholastic and academic career. Because I didn't have it. That my one thing was I got a five on the AP test. That was that was it. Yeah, my like AP English test was a five. five. That, that's I all think. that I can claim. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you got a five. Come on. All right. Question number two. Saint John Paul the Great was a polyglot, as you well know, reportedly speaking as many as thirteen languages: Polish and Slovak, Russian, Italian, etc. Those times that he stubbed his toe on the corner of the bed, which language do you think he yelled at? Um, I want to say Polish, but for some reason I want to say German, but I don't know why. <laughs> it seems like a language that you could swear in, but I don't it's know. A, 
It it definitely is like very curt. It's it's a language you can hear through the yeah. walls of the house for sure. Yeah, he also spoke, which I didn't know, but he spoke uh, some he spoke Tagalog, Tagalog and Japanese, Japanese as well. Which I he spoke Tagalog and Japanese, according to this document, as many as thirteen languages. I'm sure on different levels. Can I make a joke but, about JP two and something uh, we talked about earlier? Please, I always thought JP two is probably one of the most integrated human beings ever. But I always thought a fun T-shirt for him would be "My Corpus Callosum is bigger than yours." <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, That's but go good. ahead. What, what, like are you, what are you swearing? I like that. Oh, I have no idea. I'm just saying. I want to know what you know. Um, German sounds know. like a good enough guess. Okay. Third uh, question. Yes. Now you live in Milwaukee, correct? Okay. Which of these is false about Milwaukee? Ready? The Blues Brothers' famous car chase was filmed there. It's the home of the world-famous Michelob beer brand. Or it's the birthplace of Dungeons & Dragons. Man, I've never heard anything about Dungeons & Dragons. I want to say that one's false. Good oh, guess, man, but that's actually it? incorrect. It's the, the, that it's the home of the famous Michelob beer brand. That's actually from St. Louis. Although most every other beer from, from yeah, <laughs> was born true. and bred in Milwaukee Thank by all intents and purposes. Yep, it definitely was the birthplace of Dungeons and Dragons, and it was Crazy. where the Blues Brothers had their famous car chase filmed in Milwaukee. So there you go. Add that to your uh, your domain of Milwaukee uh, uh, intelligence. That. But um, yeah, <laughs> weaponize it. All right, brother. Well, listen. Thank you for for spending some time with me. It won't be the last time, but uh, I really appreciate it. Like I said, it's been such a joy and a privilege to get to know you, to learn about your work. You've done incredible good in, in my own life, in my own work, in my own ministry with just knowing that you're out there doing what you do. We need a lot more of that. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you and that God prosper and continue to to, to build up the things that you're working on. Deacon Charlie, and I say this to you just to know you're out there. You exist and doing the work you're doing is uh, brings me hope. So thank you so much for the invitation just to hang out with you here and God bless you and all those lives that you touch in the family, okay? Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, and all of you, remember to subscribe, share with your friends and family, and we'll see you again next time on Living the Call.